Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Every single thing that Jesus said was so profound, even from the cross. So let's get into that, but before we do, let's pray. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, we thank you so much for every single person in the room, every soul that is represented, every single person that you have pursued or you are pursuing. And God, we thank you that you left us with this amazing message that we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak through it as you always do. Speak to every individual heart in the room. And God, I pray for those, Lord, that this would be new to you, new to. God, I pray their hearts would be excited and those that, they're, that are all too familiar. Father, I pray that it would bring a refreshing to their heart, to the excitement of the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So Jesus said seven statements. I don't know if you are into numerology. Sometimes I just find those patterns in scripture. It's just crazy, but seven statements. Seven, according to scripture, is the number of completion. And I think that if we were to consider all of these statements that Jesus said from the cross, it's no accident that I really do believe that every one of them paints a full scope of the nature of God, even in these seven statements. But nevertheless, we get to the first in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, and this is actually in chronological order of what Jesus said. Number one, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, he follows that up, looking to the criminal hanging next to him saying, today you will be with me in paradise. In John chapter 19, verses 26 and 27, he looks upon his mother and one of his followers, John, and says, Woman, behold your son, and John, behold your mother. Fourth, he said to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. I had a great conversation with Gary Larson. He's kind of like a, a, a fact checker for me. <laughs> Uh, and so I called him and I said, what do you really think about this scripture? And I love his insight. He said, I believe in that moment that Jesus truly experienced hell on earth. Because we know of hell, according to the picture that is painted in scripture, hell is the absolute absence of God. And he says, my father, my father, my God, my God, you have, why have you forsaken me? In other words... I don't feel you anymore. I don't hear you anymore. I don't see you anymore. I have truly felt your absence. And he experienced hell on earth in this moment from the cross. To the soldiers in John chapter 19, 28, he said, I am thirsty. Even that points to the nature of God. John 19, 30, it is finished. And lastly, Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my Spirit, And it would have been all of these things that would have compelled the centurion to say, truly, this is the Son of God. But nevertheless, let's get to the first. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
what does this statement communicate about the nature of God? I believe that it communicates the mercy that God has towards us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is the mercy that God has towards us. We don't really talk a lot about the mercy of God. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about the forgiveness of God. But I think mercy of God often can get lost. But it communicates the mercy. This statement, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, it had a lot of multiple meanings. Do you know everything that Jesus uh, says in Scripture or is recorded in the Scripture has so many different layers to it? It's like peeling back an onion. And so even this phrase has multiple meanings. Number one, I believe it meant God don't give them what they do deserve. Don't give them what they do deserve. It has been said of the mercy of God that the mercy of God is demonstrated in this understanding that the mercy of God is not getting what we do deserve. Not getting what we do deserve. How many of you understand we don't deserve God's mercy? Now, some of us are like, who, me? Yes, you. We don't deserve God's mercy. So what do we deserve? The Bible makes that so clear that every one of us is born owing God a debt that we will never be able to pay God back for. We are in debt to God because of our sin, and there's nothing we can do for that sin to be forgiven and paid back. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of money. There's nothing that we can do to pay that debt. We are born owing God a debt that we will never be able to pay back. Let me try to illustrate what this looks like in a very real sense. As of this past Friday, March 24th at 10.17 a.m., listen to this, the United States has an outstanding debt of roughly $31 trillion. And it's only going up. This is, I looked this up, 31, that is 12 zeros, y'all. I tried to put that into my calculator on my phone and it wouldn't even work. I think it only goes up to like six zeros. It was like, I, I started tapping the zero button. There was like, have you, like, is this a glitch? Or like you, it just stopped. It was like, nope, six is enough. Twelve zeros, 31 trillion dollars. Now, what's interesting about this debt, listen to me, is that this debt predates us. Okay. It's not like on Friday, the United States government was like, Let's max out our credit card. Okay, this has been a growing debt over time. Every single person in the room was born into this debt. How do I know that? Because the last time the United States had no debt was in the 1820s or 30s. So since that time, 
we have had this debt accumulate over and over and over and over again, and it's grown, grown, grown. We were born into this debt. It has been in existence well before we were even born. So when we're born, I got good news for you. You are born into debt. It's like the United States has a birthday present for you. Congratulations for breathing. You become a member of a fantastic group of people that are now responsible for this debt. Isn't that crazy? Now, we could pay this right off right now. So I want everybody to take out your checkbooks. And I want you to write in the memo to pay for the national debt. And it's, it's going to be super simple. If every man, man, woman, and child, roughly 332 million people in the United States of America, if we would all just write a check for, it's simple, for $96,676 each, we'd be free and clear. Why isn't anybody, oh, you don't have that? I mean, I do, I'm a, <laughs> I do, no, you're, no, Todd, what you don't understand is you're responsible for that. Even though the debt came before you, you're responsible to pay that. Isn't that interesting? Because actually that's, that's the narrative of scripture. Not only do we have our own personal debt, but this debt predates you because it was the original sin of Adam, a son of God, coming before you that created a debt to Jesus, and you're born having to pay for the debt. See, I'm a pastor. I could write a check now, but I'll pray about it. <laughs> you, you lie. You lied from the pulpit. But what does this tell us? Listen, it tells us that quite literally every child born in America inherits a debt that they're incapable of never paying back. And if this is something we are incapable of not paying back, how much more the debt that we owe to God? The scripture says this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of our sin debt. And what makes that statement even more complicated is that even if we wanted to have our own sin forgiven by shedding our own blood, our blood doesn't even qualify to be accepted as payment even if we wanted to shed it. It's just like someone wanting to transfuse their blood in someone who's low on blood, but they got type A and the person in need has O positive. It does not qualify. You can't do it. It will not qualify to meet the demand. But this is not the end of the story. And if it were, we would certainly be hopeless and helpless, but we are not hopeless because God's message is not intended to be centered on how much debt we owe, how much we've sinned, how far we have fallen, how much of a screw up we are, or how many mistakes we continue to make over and over and over again. God's message is centered on what his son Jesus has done to fix the error. Thank God that we don't have to come every single Sunday morning to be beaten with the book. 
We can come hearing the good news that Jesus came to fix the Error. So listen to me this morning. God had to provide someone whose blood would count to pay for our debt. So his son sent his son Jesus to shed his blood on that cross so that the mercy of God would be put on display. Here is the message of God in simple form. God treated Jesus like you so that you could be treated like Jesus. God treated you like Jesus, and the only way he could do that is by treating Jesus like you. We see the picture of that with Barabbas and Jesus. Pilate says, who do you want? Which person do you want to die? And they said, give us Barabbas, or who do you want to be set free? Give us Barabbas. Let Barabbas be set free. So a pilot allows Barabbas to be set free and Jesus dies in Barabbas' place. And the significance and symbolism of that is this, that Barabbas' name literally means son of the father, but Jesus was the son of the father. So Jesus takes Barabbas' place as the son of the father in his place and dies the death he was supposed to die. God treated Jesus like you so that you could be treated like Jesus. God put the Son of God in your place so that you could be put in His place. This is the mercy of God on display, and it was communicated through, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, give mercy, if we know the story, give mercy to those who are gambling for my clothes, even though they don't deserve it. Father, give mercy to the scoffers and the mockers who ridicule me as I am hanging there, even though they don't deserve it. Father, give mercy to the crowds that shout to crucify him, even though they don't deserve it. Father, give mercy to the soldiers who spit on me, beat me, drove a crown of thorns through my temple and pierced my wrists and my feet with seven inch nails, even though they don't deserve it. Father, give mercy to the murderer, to the prostitute, to the alcoholic, to the drug addict, to the proud, to the adulterer, to the sexual immoral, to the one who doesn't think they even not need God, even though they don't deserve it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know what that is? It's amazing about that. What's amazing about that statement, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen to me. This is how good, good God is. That statement means that God gives us mercy in spite of our own ignorance of the full consequences of our foolish decisions. They don't even know what they're doing. Do you know, he could have said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing to me. But he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. That talks about, that's speaking about the ignorance of having no idea of the total full consequences of when we choose to do whatever we want to do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the 
I think it's 17th or 18th century, and I'm going to say something that might shock you because it's only been a couple of minutes, but um, the sermon's not over. But in the 17th or 18th century, during the Enlightenment period, a man named Alexander Pope said this statement that revolutionized the game. He said, to err is human. Anybody know the rest? Without looking at the screen? (laughs) To forgive is divine. He was talking about what Jesus did. To err is human, but to forgive is divine. Can I tell you that that's one of the reasons why the centurion said what he said? Because that level of forgiveness that was seen demonstrated through what Jesus did on the cross that caused him to say there's something different about Jesus that is divine in origin because that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. It divides, it, 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 it absolutely um, defies the rationale and logic that when you are hanging from a cross, I don't know about you guys, but uh, anybody in the room when you're sick, do you just suffer in silence? Anybody like that? Okay, like when I get sick, it's like, just leave me alone. Like, I just will, I will retreat to the bedroom, I will binge Netflix, or it'll be like the background music ambience for my naps. But I'm in there, it's just like, leave me alone. Let me just suffer in silence. I can tell you if I was hanging from the cross, like the same same logic for me is like when I've I've ever ran with other people and they want to have a conversation. It's like, do you not understand? I just want to suffer in silence here. Like, just shut up. Like, I can't can't run and have a a conversation in the middle of what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if it's two miles an hour. It doesn't matter if it's speed walking. I just need to suffer in silence. I'm suffering right now. If I was on the cross, I would be suffering in silence. But the audacity of someone to rather than just get his breath by pulling himself up, he's actually mindful of everybody around him. And he's using these moments, he's using the breaths and the energy that he has left over to pull himself up so that he can say out loud, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is one of the reasons why the centurion said, no, that's that's godlike. That is not normal. I've never heard that from someone dying on a cross. I've heard the groans, I've heard the agony, I've heard the begging, begging for my life to be spared. I've heard the just kill me quickly, but I've never heard someone say, Father, forgive me, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus wasn't just declaring, God, give them what they, don't give them what they do deserve. He was also declaring, God, totally remove the debt from them. That was the second thing. I told you there was multiple meanings to Father forgive them for they know not what they do. The second was God totally remove the debt that they owe you from them. There's a a human part of Jesus that's in his suffering saying, I'm not dying for nothing. Let this count. Let this count. God Don't give them what they do deserve, but also totally remove 
the debt from them. If I could have the worship team come forward. And we got another 20 minutes, so brace yourself. I just like the background music. It just... By the way, this is, I just want to let you guys know, this is the most favorite thing that any worship leader loves. When a pastor says, if I could have you come back up and just play for hours on end. It's like backtrack. You know, I'm a, you know what I'm going to do? Instead, for, from here on out, we're going to get more tech savvy. I'm just going to have a button right here. I'm just going to choose anointed music and just be like, boop. And be like, uh, like all melodical and like. Like, dang, how did he do that? <laughs> to err is human, but to forgive is divine. Now, this is why that would have been profound to the Roman centurion, because remember, this centurion was a Roman soldier. He was born and raised in Roman culture, and everything that Jesus said would have had a different meaning, and a, he would have come from a different place. And so this Roman centurion had an idea of forgiveness, but... The forgiveness that Jesus demonstrated on the cross was totally different from his background foundational understanding of forgiveness. Because in Roman culture, there was a level of forgiveness, but it was called clemency. It's, it's where we get clemency from. It's, it, that's almost like an a international thing where you grant clemency. I don't know the full scope of what all of that means, but there was actually a Roman goddess called Clemencia. And she was, the, she was the Roman goddess of forgiveness. And so this, word, this phrase clemency was what, 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 it was the portrait of what forgiveness looked like in Roman culture. But interesting enough, this Roman clemency was really limited in its meaning, application, and understanding. Clemency extended mercy to someone for a wrong that they committed. However, it did not remove the debt. It extended mercy, but it never removed the debt. And on top of that, here's the other thing. The relationship between the offender and the, uh, and the uh, victim was never restored either. So here's what would happen. People would be given mercy, and then for the rest of their lives, they would live under the burden that the only reason that they are alive is because they've been spared. They are not redeemed of their debt. Their existence is simply tolerated by the person that they offended. So people would be granted clemency for a debt that they owed or a crime they committed, but they would live, listen, they would live out the rest of their lives with the debt or crime never fully removed from their record. In other words, the debt was never really paid for, so it was never fully forgotten. So if you were ever to cross paths with the person that you offended, there would be this thing where you would look upon them and you would hang your head. Don't even look me in the eye because I want you to remember that the only reason why you're still alive is because I spared you of your life. So there was a shame. There was still guilt. There was all of this like, I'm only alive because of mercy, because of clemency, 
because I've been spared. But listen to me this morning. When Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Not only was he saying, God, give them what they don't deserve, but he was also saying, God, totally forgive the debt that they owe and remove it completely from them. When Jesus declared, Father, forgive them, that, for they know not what they do, he was announcing out loud to everyone under the sound of his voice and who would hear this story centuries later of what was already happening. For the sins of humanity and the weight of the world had been placed on the shoulders of Jesus, and forgiveness was becoming available to all who would turn to Jesus and believe. Listen to me this morning. God's mercy is not Roman clemency. Your sin was placed upon Jesus so that in the eyes of God, we would become a brand new person with a clean slate. And it is not like clemency with a stain of whatever you have done would forever be hung over your head. The forgiveness of God removes your guilt. It erases your shame and it eliminates your condemnation because 1 Peter 4, 8 tells us that the love of God covers a multitude of of sins. But that love there is just is different. It is agape love. It is God love, which is specifically the type of love that God displays towards human beings. Listen to me. The love of God covers you. It doesn't expose you. If you're in the room and you are still thinking about your past or the things that you've done, we are not here to expose you and call your sins on the carpet. You want to know why? Because God already did that. He did that by hanging his son on the cross, left out to be exposed with the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. Your sin was already exposed. It was exposed in the humiliation that Jesus bore when he was hanging from the cross. How humiliating would it have been for someone who claimed to be the son of God to left naked, dying on a cross? But remember, God treated Jesus like you so that you could be treated like Jesus. God experienced, Jesus experienced your humiliation so that you would not have to experience your own and have it hung over your head. Your sin was placed upon Jesus so that in the eyes of God, we would become a brand new person with a clean slate. And it is not like clemency where the stain of whatever you have done would be forever hung over your head. Just like the song that we sung earlier, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he has washed me white as snow. And I love the part that we built into on the song. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, when we turn to Jesus when we believe in him and when we begin to follow him, it says we belong to Christ and become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life begins. Isn't that amazing? A new life begins. See, the message of Jesus declares we do not have to live out our lives branded with a scarlet 
letter for the mistakes of our past. But we are given a new life, a fresh start, and a clean slate. And if you don't believe it, let Hebrews 8.17 sink deep into your spirit. It says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sin. You know what's crazy about that? That means that when you turn to Jesus, God has forgotten what you continue to bring up. Because he died for it. He already paid for it. It's like you going to the store, someone, uh, <laughs> it's like uh, when I take Zeke to the store and I go to Kroger every time, he's got his in mental list of everything he's going to ask me that I would buy. Dad, will you get me a donut? Dad, will you get me gum? Dad, what about candy? He's got this list of everything. And even, I want you to imagine, I take him to the counter, I pay for it, and then he, we're about to leave, and he's like, no, I, gotta, I need to go ahead and pay for this again. So he goes up and he pays for it, and it's already been paid for twice. Often, when we will not forgive ourselves of what God has already forgotten, we're trying to pay for what he's already paid for. Let it go. I will never again remember their sin. That is good news. That is the message of Jesus. Now that makes you so uncomfortable because it's like, well, what about repentance? What about this? What about that? I'm just telling you, you know what turning to Jesus is? That's repentance. That is repentance because you don't turn to Jesus without understanding your need for Jesus. There was also a criminal hanging right next to Jesus that was drawn to Jesus. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Remember, he came for everybody. Not only was he trying to bring the centurion to himself, but he was also trying to bring the criminals hanging on his left and his right. And so the mercy of God which does not give people what they do deserve, and Jesus' heart of forgiveness would have been compelling to the centurion, but it was also compelling to a criminal who was hanging next to him that turns to Jesus shortly after Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And in Luke 23, 42, it records that the criminal turned toward Jesus and said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Now paradise is not, it's, it's heaven. Today you will be with me. Because remember, hell is simply the absence of God. Heaven is the presence of God. I love what Jesus was saying here. He was saying, hey, listen to me. You may not know where I am going, but you're going to be with me. And that is going to make it paradise. That is going to make it heaven. You're going to have joy. You're going to have hope. You're going to have peace. You're going to be without pain. You're going to be without this suffering. 
wherever I'm going, you may not fully understand it, but you're going to be with me. Today you will be with me in paradise. Where Listen, where the first phrase of Jesus on the cross communicates the mercy of God, this second phrase communicates the grace of God. Today you'll be with me in paradise. See, mercy is not getting what you do deserve, but listen, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. The last thing that that criminal that turned to Jesus deserved was to join him in heaven immediately after his death. And he knew that. Do you know how I know that? Because of what he said in Luke 23, 41, he said, we deserve to die for our crimes. We deserve this. I deserve this. Have, listen, here's a question for everybody in the room, whether you are following Jesus currently or you, you aren't. Have you gotten to a place in your life where you have just accepted the fate of the mistakes that you've made? Have you gotten to a place in your life where you have given up on anything changing? Have you gotten to a place in your life where you are penalizing yourself because of something in your past? Listen to me this morning. Stop and turn to Jesus because God has better for you. He can redeem your story where your future is better than your past, even though you may feel like what you deserve is to punish yourself. The grace of God is here for you to transform your life. That's what the grace of God is. Grace is never earned and it's never deserved. It is the gift of God. The message from the cross is simple. God sent his son into the world to save us from the debt that we owe him by offering those that put their faith in Jesus the grace and the mercy of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, God saved you from the debt that you owe him by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this it is the gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done so that none of us can boast about it. See, the centurion and the criminal both turned to Jesus because of the mercy of God and the grace of God. <laughs> I know that this is what I deserve. But can I go where you're going? And Jesus said today, absolutely, you can have my grace. You can have my mercy and you can have my grace because you're not paying for it. I'm paying for it. I'm paying for it right now. See, every one of us in the room has this same decision before us this morning. What do you do? What do you do with the message about this this morning? Well, first of all, I want to talk to every person in the room that does believe in Jesus, but continues to struggle with not letting go of things that haunt you from your past. Because everybody's got them. Even as we're talking about it, there's things that surface on your mind. This is the stuff that you run from by staying busy. 
Because if I keep my mind occupied, if I'm busy, then I don't have to think about it. And it constantly comes up to the surface of your mind and you stuff it down by keep being active or doing this or doing that. Or maybe you, you look to medication, you look to these things or that thing so that you can, you can forget it, you can try to put it behind you. And it's constantly being resurrected over and over and over again. Embrace the mercy and the grace of God today. Let it go. I know, but I, I did this, I did that, I made this mistake. Let it go. Because as far as the east from the west, he removes your sins and remembers them no more. I believe wholeheartedly that we will stand for, before Jesus one day, and I believe that for some of us, he will look us in the face and say, why did you punish yourself for decades by constantly bringing back up stuff that I've forgotten? Because I have forgiven you. I haven't just given you mercy, but I have removed the debt from you. The moment you turned to me, you don't owe anything anymore because I've paid for it through my son. What do you do with what you've heard this morning? First and foremost, if that's you, I want you to open your hands, look up towards heaven, and I want you, I know this sounds crazy, I want you to hand over symbolically to God what you've been holding on to and you've been penalizing yourself for. You know how you penalize yourself for it? When bad things happen to you, you accept them and say, I deserve it. This is what I get. This is what I get. It's on me. And for those of you in the room that may have not turned to Jesus yet, and those that are watching online, I want you to know that Jesus' story demands that you make a choice. I want to encourage you to receive the mercy of God and grace of God by doing the same thing that the criminal and the centurion did. They turned toward Jesus, and I don't want to complicate it for you because it can be overcomplicated. And matter of fact, it was not complicated for Jesus and the criminal. Jesus, Jesus did not go into a 10-step phase on how to accept him on the cross. With the limited breath that the criminal had on the cross, he said, can you just remember me? And Jesus said, I will take it one step further than just remembering you because that's the type of God that we serve. God will constantly, because he's so good, he will exceed your expectations. He said, will you remember me? No, I'll take it one step further. I won't just remember you, but you will be with me in paradise. I will take it one step beyond what you believe that I could do. But you just have to take a step. It's turning to Jesus. Recognize your need for God. It's believe him. Trust that he is who he said he is and it's follow him. Can I tell you something? For the limited moments left in that criminal's life, 
in the silence of hanging there suffering next to Jesus. That was his follow. He was following him for whatever time left that he had. That's all he could give. And that was enough for the grace and mercy of God to say, you'll be with me today. So with head, every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're watching on, online or if you're in the room today and you have yet to turn to Jesus, you've yet to put your faith in him, you've yet to just follow him, or maybe you have fallen short in following. Can I tell you something? You don't have to give your life to Jesus every single Sunday. Because the grace of God is there for you even when you fall short of your own expectations and standard of what you think you're supposed to do and what it means to follow him. Turn to Jesus. Turn to him. Jesus, I need you. I believe in who you are. I love what Josephus, a, a Jewish historian that was paid by the Romans to record history. Years after Jesus died, he didn't even have to put this in, in there, but he said, and there was this man from Nazareth. His name was Jesus. If I could even call him a man, because he did many miracles and was crucified on a cross under the authority of Pilate. Jesus is not a myth. He is a historical figure, and that requires every one of us to make a choice about what we believe about him. Believe him and follow him. I don't know what it looks like to take those steps towards following him, but I've got to start somewhere. So with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, <laughs> can I say this, that with every head bowed and every eye closed, all of heaven is open and God is looking, and God is seeing. So if you're in the room and you're just, you're in a point where your life, you're like, I need to turn to Jesus. I need to put my faith in him once again, and I need to follow him. Will you just slip your hand up right now? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> you're just, you know, God loves the humility of your heart. God loves when you look at him and say, God, I need you. And he's like, absolutely. He pours out his grace and his mercy on you. It's right there, ready and available. And for those of you in the room that can't seem to just get over your past, I want to pray for you as well. So if that's you, lift your hands up. We're going to pray together. God, I thank you so much for those in the room that are turning towards you, that are putting their faith freshly in you today, God, that are following, making the choice to follow you. You know the heart. I can't control the transformation because I don't even have to. Your Holy Spirit is released, eager and ready to touch the hearts of every single person that would turn towards you today. So begin the work of transformation. And God, I pray when the enemy would come to condemn the progress, that they would embrace your mercy and grace. Thank you, God, 
that you give us, you do not give us what we do deserve. You give us what we don't deserve. You give us mercy and you give us grace. And every single person under the sound of my voice that has penalized themselves and punished themselves and resurrected failures, sins, and mistakes from their past that they rehearse over and over and over again. I break the spirit of accusation and condemnation and shame and guilt because you were humiliated so that we don't need to be humiliated. Your, our sin was placed upon you that we might walk free of the consequences of our errors. The gospel shouts of what Jesus has done to fix our failures. Pray that we would embrace your mercy and grace today. want to encourage you as we close that the enemy will come again to try to bring that up but when a court case is finalized and the books are closed you can't talk about it anymore it's done I want you when the enemy would want to bring that up I want you to speak out loud you do not have the right to talk to me about that again you don't have the right because it's done. You don't have the right. You are bringing up something from a case that has already been decided. And the decision was that I would walk freely. So God, I come against already the bombardment of the enemy this week to try to bring accusation, condemnation, shame and guilt again to try to place it back on our shoulders. Pray that we would step into the freedom of the power and anointing that is on us to speak to the enemy and say, you do not have the right to bring that up again. I am walking in freedom. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listen to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.